Blog Talk Radio. having me brother africa and revolutionary greetings to you uh the fellow panelists and the listening audience my name is anthony williams i'm an organizer for the all 
African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father Brother Anthony, we bring in Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the move. Hello, Brother Africa. Uh, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamaka Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness, and my focus is all about institution building. Uh, one of the things, when we talk about institution building, one of the things that's so key in a society is the role of nutrition. And I recently read an article detailing some of the discrepancies as it relates to nutrition here in America. Now, nutrition plays a valuable part in, the, in the, excuse me, the creation of a well-adjusted human being, and nowhere is that more evident than the nutrition needs of students. One of the most important policies established by the Obama administration was the school lunch nutrition standard. This policy established the use of whole grains and vegetables as standard, thus eliminating refined grains like noodles and Doritos that contribute to type 2 diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. Now, the current White House position is that students are not entitled to a healthy food. In fact, they made the case in court that states have no right to the federal government or food standards because only the federal government can define what the food standards are. As a result of federal government's position, some states have used it to justify denying school children access to healthy food when their school lunch fees are in arrears. In Warwick, Rhode Island, for example, children who were behind lunch fees will receive only a jelly sandwich. Some states like New Jersey have threatened children with possibility of nothing at all to eat. Now, can someone explain to me in the U.S. where 30 million school children on an official poverty line, that is 130% of the GDP, what impact such policies will have on students' long-term health or the students' ability to learn? Obviously, the federal government has made it extremely difficult for schools districts to receive payments for very, for very poor students via bureaucratic red tape. I think it's safe to say the federal government does not see the future for poor children. What are the implications for children who don't have access to food or to nutrition? This, 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 this question is particularly prominent when we talk about the disproportionality of poor people in the African community. Now, the question is, what role could institutions play in terms of dealing with this issue? Clearly, if the government's position is that uh, the poor people have no future in society, then clearly it's going to adversely impact the African community. So, therefore, we need institutions to clarify exactly what is it we have to do in terms of combating you know, this, this, this very horrible situation. Without the institutions, it becomes very, very extremely problematic in terms of our ability to even begin to address the horrific nature of this problem. So this is a big, big problem, and, of course, I encourage people to build institutions because without institutions, it becomes extremely difficult to fight back. And having said that, Brother Africa, I want to thank you for having me on the show. Welcome, Brother Haki. We welcome Brother Jabari. Welcome to Africa on the move. Peace, everybody. Brother Jabari, resident researcher, looking forward to another safe program. I appreciate the honor and privilege. Okay. Father Brother Bobby, we are back in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism in a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that mouth, faith, tongue, 
It's his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. Thank you once again, Brother Afro, for allowing me to be on the show. Uh, thank you, Brother Moses. Right now, for those who listen to the Africa on the Move for the first time, we're just going to give you a brief schedule of our agenda for today's program, which will include the first segment, Yes, what's going on in your world's community. Then we'll follow by discussion around the theme, which is today, part two. Hell no, we are not down with that. We'll be dealing with various articles and issues that are impacting our, com- our communities in the world. And we invite you to join us by calling in at 323-679-0841. Hit one, and we will acknowledge your four numbers. So let's get started with this party by going into our first segment, What's Going On In Your World and the, commu- the Community. We'll start out with you, Brother Anthony. Yes. Um, as most people are, uh, might be aware, uh, there's a hurricane Dorian in the, uh, raging in the Caribbean right now that, uh, that will make landfall in the U.S. Uh, sometime this week. Right now, it is devastating uh, the northern Bahama Bahama Islands, uh, particularly in the area of uh, Freeport. And uh, so, uh, you know, our 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 uh, hearts and prayers go out to the African masses. Uh, you know, dealing with that hurricane, uh, uh, Dorian in the Bahamas. Also, there was a mass shooting uh, in West Texas uh, last week uh, at the uh, same vicinity as the one that took place in El Paso. Uh, from, uh, from, what, from what I've read, uh, about uh, nine people were killed. Uh, you know, uh, so far as a result of this latest uh, mass shooting. So there seems to be uh, no end to the cycle of violence that's occurring, you know, in this society. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next we go to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? Yes, sir, a couple of things. First, Elton went into the solidarity tour to Cuba. This trip takes place October 31st to November 6th. And for more information, we ask you to contact us at 804-549-7492 or early code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, number two, at gmail.com. We encourage people to go to Cuba and see for themselves firsthand what makes Cuba such a great place to live and to visit. Uh, now, I haven't said that, brother. The second thing, brother, Africa, is, you know, I, I recently read an article I thought was very, very interesting because in, in event, uh, you know, there is this perception that you know, when we talk about racism, many of us don't want to believe that, in fact, the very foundation of government is rooted in racism, and we seek all kinds of ways in terms of justifying, you know, uh, this reality, uh, you know, and um, fortunately by downplaying the role that racism plays in American society or the government specifically, and we do so to our own detriment. So I think it's something we have to begin to address. And um, so the article talks about the fact that the Department of Justice sent an email to all immigration courts, court employees. Now, this email included a link to a white nationalist website. Now, the Department of Justice said the link to the white nationalist website was a mistake. And the Department of Justice position was a mistake lies squarely with contractors 
who are responsible for setting up daily briefing at Department of Justice, which raises some very interesting questions. One, if contractors are responsible for setting up the daily briefings for WOJ, Department of Justice, wouldn't they know DOJ's criteria or their focus? Secondly, would not information gathered for the Department of Justice be disseminated only for the Department of Justice's eyes? Thirdly, why would contractors have access to immigration court personnel? Immigration is a very small part of the Department of Justice. Fourth, who instructed excuse me, contractors to disseminate information to a subordinate entity and why are links to a website exposing white supremacy? The bottom line is under the William Barr administration, he's in lockstep with the White House uh, the attempt to legitimize racism and facilitate racism is best achieved when all parties are on the same page. So it seems racism is not just the domain of poor whites, but intimately uh, applied to uh, those in positions of power. So as a people, we have to begin to understand the nature of this implicit threat and no longer pretend that somehow we're oblivious to that reality. Thank you, Brother Haki. We will then go, go to Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, what's going on in your world and the community? I was recently reading a very interesting article entitled Perpetual Debt in the Silicon Savannah. And the article was speaking about how in Kenya, um, a number of Kenyans have been introduced to apps that will enable them to get access to loans quick, fast, and in a hurry, given the impoverished nature that many Kenyans find themselves in, unfortunately. But the problem is while the Kenyans are able to get access to money quickly, Maine did not take the time to truly look into the parameters regarding the repaying of these loans and the interest rates and fees attached that would cause them to end up paying more than what they took in. And I found this particular interest in regards to the article talking about how they were being taken advantage of because Kenya is a country that is very rich in resources in terms of amongst those resources are limestone, salt, gold, floor spa, oil. Um, they have a lot of wildlife. Um, they have plenty of variable land, which is conducive for farming. And they also um somewhere where you can um, really utilize hydropower, which is a healthier means in terms of providing energy. So when you look at all these factors, it's clear there's some major gains being played by those who are not in the best interest of the Kenyans and are trying to find ways to take advantage of that which is natural to them and exploit it. Natural to be to the best of the benefit of the people. Okay. Thank you, Brother Shabari. We are now going to our brother, Brother Moses. What's going on in your world and the community? Well, I just um, want to say that um, um, to Anthony, there has been a shooting Saturday um, after a routine traffic stop in Odessa, Texas. Um, this shooting uh, wounded 22 people. Uh, uh, and um, it was, I think, three police officers included and a 17-month-old child. Uh, but anyway, this this was uh, this was just yesterday. Um, I, I I'm going to leave it right there. I can't think of anything right now on the top of my head. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Brother Moses. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. We have had so many shootings, mass shootings, in the last week. 
I can't keep up with them. I'm trying not to become numb by hearing it so much. But um, let's start right there. When does this cycle of the mass shooting stop? What is contributing to it? Who are responsible for these? Who are responsible for these conditions? And is it just an individual thing? Many times we like to fault victims. You don't look at the situations in which um, create the, the the behavior of the individuals. So panelists, we're in the home of the brain with all these resources, and you know most people think this is happening. What's going on with all these mass shootings? What is it about people? are so willingly to pick up a gun and just shoot people. For, I guess for a reason, because the reason why you do everything. But what do y'all make of this shooting inside of the United States? What kind of country is this? Panelists, talk to me. Uh, I think I think one has to analyze the history of the U.S. very carefully. And look past the propaganda that um, uh, that that people are fed in the school system, and realize, for one thing, uh, Phil, Phil, uh, uh, the U.S. has a very violent history. Probably the one, uh, uh, probably uh, the, uh, the, the the most violent history of any country on the planet. Uh, it was built by violent violently. Uh, uh, you know, uh, murdering and seizing the land of the indigenous people, and uh, and uh, violently trafficking uh, in human beings out of Africa to provide a, a cheap labor supply in order to develop the resources uh, of uh, of the, the North American continent. Uh, another uh, another factor is that uh, firearms are very easy to get inside the U.S. All firearms of all types, depending upon how much money you have to spend on that. And I, w- and I would add another factor, too, is the fact that, uh, that people are, are, are getting frustrated and angry at the conditions in which they find themselves. And uh, you know, in some cases, they're, they're taking uh, they either taking their frustrations out on the people around them, or upon uh, you know the indigenous people of this hemisphere and the Africans. And in terms of what it's going to take, uh, ultimately, the solution is to put it into capitalism. But as long as capitalism, to, uh, it, you know, exists, you're going to have uh, this situation where people lash out violently. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, well, I think one of the things we have to understand this is the insidious nature in terms of the strategizing taking place in the context of this capitalist world. Uh, one of the things that has been happening has been a, a very uh, in, in t- intense uh, uh, increase in terms of the, in, in people whose lives are simply hopeless. Uh, when we talk about the spurs between the have and the have-nots, 
one of the things, when you talk about any system which says that 1% of the population controlled an own amount of wealth, it clearly means that a, tradition, a, a lot of people are, in fact, impoverished and they are hopeless. The question is, when people are impoverished and they're hopeless, the question is, do they become angry? Of course, they become angry. But here's the, here's the key, and we have to keep in mind, that those the individuals who become angry and who strike out, they do so. The people that they, they victimize happen to be people who don't have any real power. And that speaks values in terms of the education system. The education system. In other words, those people who kill you know, these innocent individuals on the street who happen to be powerless and poor, uh, do nothing in terms of you know, resolving the situation they're confronted with because the people that they're killing are poor people. These poor people don't have power. So killing them is merely, a, is merely an expression of the frustration, but it does nothing in terms of really resolving the problem that you face in terms of the disparity between the have and the have-nots in society. Now, the, and one of the things where it's food in terms of when we talk about strategies as far as the ruling class is concerned, one of the things is that when they talk about these killings, one of the things they want to do, they want to get the message out. What they're doing is they're actually legitimizing these killings. So it's a way in which they, 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 they give these, these people, you know, five seconds of fame, which sort of spurs other people to emulate that. And that's precisely what they want. As long as they can keep the killing going and they keep the fear going, the people in the ruling class are in control, and that's precisely what they want. Now, here's what happens when people who are frustrated direct their anger at the correct individuals who happen to be the capitalist class. Anything that those individuals do in terms of direct their anger against the capitalist class, the media tends to downplay. For instance, remember Occupy Wall Street, when everybody begins to realize that the problem is the wealthy people in America, that the enemy is the wealthy people in America, and people start expressing that, and they start receiving death threats, and people in 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 attention was growing in terms of the general population versus Wall Street. The immediate response was what? To stop talking about that. And there's a reason why they stopped talking about that, because it was gaining legitimacy. If they would continue to talk about it, more and more people consciously would seek out the wealthy to set those Wall Street types for, for execution. And so this is why the ruling class had to do something in terms of making sure that that message was destroyed. Look at the, um, in France, look at the, um, the, the yellow jack, the, the yellow vest. Look in terms of the coverage in terms of the yellow vest. It's almost non-existent now. Why? Because the, the righteous anger of the people is directed against the powerful. And so, therefore, therefore, the media understands that interest not to talk about this because if you talk about it, you actually create the audience in terms of actually participating in those in such movements. And so we have to understand the political nature in terms of what's going on. And so when, when Donald Trump can have these, uh, these indulges in these kind of these cold words, these dog whistles, where he's, uh, he's, he's talking about, uh, you know, certain people need to be killed, certain people need to be incarcerated, certain people need to be eliminated, you know, from this planet – he understands that those wall, those dog whistles have meaning in the minds of people who are frustrated and people who are angry. So it's not a mistake, and it's not just him who's doing it, but it's the, the whole a whole class of people, wealthy people, you know, who are positioned to innovate messages uh, to ensure that certain messages are 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 are, are, are given uh, to accept that they repeat it over and over and over again, so those messages become palatable, and so therefore people get the message that killing. Other people out of frustration, it's not a bad thing at all. In fact, you, what you're doing is you're thinning out the herd, which is a good thing for society. So we've got to understand the nature of the politics and strategizing behind these killings and understand that not only is it in the interest of wealthy people that poor people continue to kill other poor people, but understand that once poor people understand precisely who the real enemy is, then they direct their anger toward the real enemy. And so that's what the media doesn't want people to people to understand, which is why they downplay any discussion or any movement 
which which focus on the wealthy as the true problem, uh, which is epitomized, you know, by the capitalist system. Any other response, Moses to Bobby? Well, most people are alienated in this capitalist society. Most people are working for money, and they don't really enjoy their job. Uh, it's not a fulfillment of any lifetime dream or anything, but uh, it's just a money, pay the rent kind of job. And uh, this is very alienating, I mean, in terms of what is possible, in terms of a healthy society, a society concerned with the well-being of humanity and, and society that's, that doesn't put money above people. There's free health care, free education. And uh, that kind of society is, you know, it's more nurturing. And so, you know, this part of this, a great deal of this uh, misplaced aggression, you know, is is due to the alienation of uh, the social order and uh, the fact that the media is controlled by the ruling class, that 1%, and they don't, they don't allow themselves to be condemned by their own media. And so they propagandize and propagandize and uh, keeps everybody running around fighting each other instead of the, the real culprits, as uh, already been explained. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Could I add something, Brother Africa? Yes, you can, Africa. Like it's yours. Sure. Uh, I want to add that the weapons manufacturers are some of the uh, 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 some of the biggest capitalists in this society, and uh, and that's and that's a major re- reason why uh, you know uh, you know uh, you know there's no that there's no uh, you know talk of uh, limiting access to uh, to firearms. It's not uh, the the, the Second Amendment issue is a smokescreen. What it is, uh, what it is, is the fact that 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 uh, that ha- readily, having guns readily available benefits weapons manufacturers, and these are the same uh, same companies that manufacture weapons that uh, uh, that are that that are used to kill uh, Africans around the world by U.S. forces. But I tell you what, I tell you what, I can I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you, Brother Anthony. If those 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 same people committed these 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 murders, these mass murders around the country, if those same people use those weaponry against the wealthy, I can guarantee you there will be reform in terms of gun laws in America. Because once they understand that people have an adequate understanding in terms of what the real problem is in society, and once they correctly identify who the real enemy is, and they start using those weapons against them, I guarantee you, the ruling class will say, you know what? Guns must be banned. But as long as these poor people continue to kill other poor people, that's precisely what they want. They want this level of chaos to exist because the level of fear that's, that they want, that, that in other words, when you create that level of fear that people don't trust one another, you make it impossible for unity. And that's precisely what they want. This is why they keep playing it up every time these, these situations happen. You know, every week there's, there's some mass murder in America, it seems. 
Well, you know, you see, any 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 sober society, any 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 sober society, uh, any 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 well well intended society would say that. Listen, given this reality, uh, given this backdrop, then clearly there's something that has to be done. Uh, clearly, there's a tremendous amount of frustration and anger out here, but we certainly can provide the tools to make it possible for people to carry out you know, their anger by utilizing weaponry. Well, in America, the whole thing is that it's all about control, and the only way the control can be maintained is adequate division among among poor people in society. So they have no problem in terms of poor people killing one another, and it's precisely what they want. And this is the quintessential problem. It's precisely what they want. Uh, and when you start thinking about it in terms of the, 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 the weaponry that exists in society, and, and you think about the kind of war games that are taking place, you know, throughout this country, uh, clearly the government, the U.S. government is very, very clear that the perpetrators of this violence happen to be white supremacists. They know that. They know what their training sites are. They know who they are. They know what they practice. They know all of that. But the mere fact they continue to proliferate, and the mere fact that the government resistance in terms of even combating white terrorism in America speaks values in terms of the, the real objective, which is mainly to foment as much chaos as you possibly can. So these people who carry out mass murder become an adequate buffer you know, between government, governmental policies, and the masses of folks. And so, therefore, the policies of, 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 of the United States government never get scrutinized. But what happens is that what does get scrutinized is this madness killing of, you know, of poor people by poor people, again, which is precisely what they want. So this is a problem that we have in terms of the, 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 the gun lobby. Uh, clearly, they understand precisely what it is. No, because there's a market outside of U.S. in terms of weaponry. Matter of fact, U.S. sells more weaponry than any other country in the world, and that's that's a clearly a market for terms of weaponry. As societies around the world deteriorate, then clearly, uh, you know, this 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 tendency, uh, this aggression that's being legitimized throughout the world has a need for weaponry, and the U.S. is here to provide you know, that service, provide that weaponry to people who 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 are willing to to buy. So clearly, you know, uh, this issue in terms of you know um, you know Possibility when it comes to weaponry can be achieved abroad, but that's not the issue. The issue is not the possibility in terms of being a turn of being able to be achieved abroad. The issue is forming as much chaos, much destruction, and much division in the society as possible. It's the only way the ruling class can maintain control. Because the moment that the masses of people begin to understand that killing other poor people is is a counterproductive, that is stupid. You know, they begin to understand adequately, you know, adequately, you know, who the real who the real enemy is. At that point, trust me, the question around you know uh, 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 access to guns, oh, that would be curtailed, curtailed, excuse me, curtailed greatly. It would definitely get rid of have access to guns because they understand that the people understand that the real enemy is those people you know who control every facet of their life, which is the ruling class. So clearly, there's a strategy here that's being played, and we have to understand that you know when we when you see these when you see these issues arise around the country and ask yourself why such visibility. Why does it need to, to, to blow up these situations and blow up, you know, these reports in terms of these mass killings? What is their real agenda? What are they trying to actually achieve? And as I stated before, they're actually trying to achieve the maximum amount of carnage, the maximum amount of chaos they can to facilitate as much fear as they possibly can to make it possible for the ruling class to continue to rule. You know, you know, Brother Hakeem? It's okay if I make another point. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Brother In many cases, in regards to the subject matter we're speaking on, this is the result of a learned behavior. Now, I'll preface my comments by mentioning 
a movie I highly recommend that speaks to um, one facet of the violence phenomenon in America, the movie American History X. In that particular movie, the main character became involved in a neo-Nazi movement in his hometown as a result of, well, first and foremost, it started with his dad's um, bigotry um, of sorts, and then also he found out about a group that was gaining momentum that would hold these rock curses like rallies where they would criticize the conditions and they felt like it was time for white supremacy to be what should make the decision because there were too many people who weren't white that was um, damaging what they were used to and getting in the way of them enjoying their best life possible. And as a result of that, he engaged in an activity where he ended up assaulting a black youth and ended up having to serve time in prison and was through his experience in prison that he had time to reflect and learn that the violence behavior he had been caught up in was a result of him being propagandized too. So you got to understand there's a strong propaganda campaign to get people to get riled up in these kind of thoughts where they hurt those who are not necessarily the people that they need to be um, confronting. You know, uh, panelists, um, I'd like to pick it back on something that Haki said earlier and get y'all to weigh in on it, have, have a little bit of discussion on it. Around this question, you know, often we say that the state is at war. Not only with African people, but I think with all of humanity. And war takes different forms. Now, when we talk about the war of nutrition, the war of food, and looking at how they play the two entities of the state rights versus the federal rights, how they play these two off each other to to maintain power control, we got to stop falling for that okie doke. Now, it would seem to me, Brother Hackey, you're right. If the state or if the federal government is taking the position that healthy food is not a right for poor kids, school kids, to have access to. If we know the value of food and the quality of food can have an impact not only on your thinking, but just in general, your overall well-being and development. Again, this is another tactic of uh, out of war against African people and oppressed people. How do we how do we raise this in the, in the context where everybody can see this clearly and understand this? What, why is this so difficult for conscious, educated, edu- educated um, professionals don't see this picture? How can the society be that blind to it and then turn around and penalize the kids and say, well, you're not performing well because of X, Y, Z? but they never talk about the conditions in which the, the children are functioning under that would not allow them to reach the, reach the optimum, you know, um, best resorts. Brother Africa, you're breaking up. You're breaking up. I'm breaking up? Okay. You're now. You're now. My question is, how do we respond to the position if the federal government stated that there's no guarantee that states or the federal government, that federal government has the right to feed to feed 
children proper nutrition, nutritional food. If they say there's no guaranteed rights for children to have access to the food, to me that's another form of alcohol. It's a form of genocide, a form of oppression. How do they continue to paint this picture openly and say they have no more regards for 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 for, for, for so-called underclass children when it comes to looking at the overall well-being of their health, health, health over their own? in terms of looking at the overall well-being of their health. And how do they continue to get away with that? Do people really understand this is, this is just another tactic of an act of war against African people, underprivileged people, or however you want to define them? And well, it constantly uh, it is an act of war, but, uh, but the people don't see that. And, uh, and that... And that and that is a consequence of our disorganization. Uh, in the days when uh, when segregation was more blatant, Africans realized the government didn't, get, didn't give a damn about the people. We, uh, our ancestors understood that very clearly. But uh, since the days uh, 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 the days of Desegregation and integration A lot of our people have gotten confused And uh, we've got to realize That if we want, if we want our youth to, uh, to be healthy We have to take the initiative To ensure that uh, uh, the community Has to take the initiative to ensure that our people are adequately fed and, 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 and nourished And that takes organization And education Education of the right type And uh, In other words Not just the political propaganda That the corporate media puts out But we have to uh, uh, Take the initiative Like the, the uh, Like the Black Panther Party uh, Did during the 60s of having a, 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 a food program to supplement what the youth, uh, what, what the children then were not getting in the school system. And uh, so, um, and, uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, initially the government borrowed from that, uh, uh, from that program of sorts. But, you know, but the thing about it, though, because... Uh, of confusion and lack of um, organization, we are not organized to look out for our own self-interest. And we have to do that if we're going to protect the future of our youth. You know, I, I, I concur. You know, um, one of the things is that, you know, one of the reasons when we go back to the, you know, to the, to the 70s and 80s, when we utilized class, class stratification African unity, the whole point, was to essentially divide the African community. In dividing the African community, you conquer the African community. So clearly with those of us in the African community, particularly among middle income, uh, whose position was that the, the, the place with concerns of poor African people was no longer their concern because they had a job, making a little money, had a nice house, nice cars, and all those kind of things that they perceived as essential in terms of being somebody. Well, unfortunately, you know, when you start talking about the question in terms of, you know, this being a, 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 a part of a war, 
The problem is it falls on deaf ears because as long as you subscribe to the class-based um, analysis, that in fact when you start thinking that things define you as a human being, then you don't then you don't see in terms of you know the having not having access to quality food as as as, a, as something that's uh, uh, used as a weapon. You simply don't you simply don't see that. You simply see the situation where you know there's some unfortunate people who weren't prepared, and so as a result of not being prepared, their children pay the price. So in other words, if their children would have been like me and they went to school and got their degrees and blah, 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 then, you know, they wouldn't have this problem. So so in the essence, what they're saying is that the poor African children should, should, should bear the blame in terms of not having access to nutrition. But the fundamental question that you raise is after the correct brother Africa is really all about, is, it really is weaponized war. It's is it's, Lack of you know, nutrition is, 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 a, is, a, is a form of war, a form of warfare. That's precisely what it is. Because one of the, way, the biggest ways to debilitate the people is not having access to nutrition. And this is particularly important when you start talking about children. Now, granted, a lot of the stuff that we eat uh, that, we, that we profess that is good for us, in reality, we understand a lot of the stuff that we eat is not good for us. But even those foodstuffs that are really good for you in terms of fruit and vegetables, uh, in terms of, you know, you know having the opportunity, you know, to you to purchase you know, those those things calls for some calls for some real income because those those foodstuffs don't last for long periods of time, which means they constantly have to be replenished. And so therefore it creates real disservice in terms of the African communities, you know, pursuit, you know, of quality food, uh, you know, for the, for his children. It doesn't mean that the situation is hopeless, because in fact, if you work together, you can ensure that the, the Af- African children get what they need if you simply got work together in terms of creating that, that condition. But unfortunately, because we're so divided along these class lines that we don't see that our long-term interest lies in the interest of those African children uh, or African communities who are in dire straits. None of us are immune from what's happening in the world. When we start talking about these mass killings, I don't care how much money you got. If in fact, if you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, or if they decide to talk in your neighborhood simply because you are a fluent person of African descent, then nothing, nothing, your money would not stop a bullet from going, going through your head. So clearly, you know, this class in terms of class stratification is a big, big problem, and it makes it impossible, almost possible, a lot of us to even see that this is a, this is a, this is this is a, a, a fact of war. That all these things they're doing is built, built toward debilitating the people, and we don't even understand that. And as a consequence, we can't even fight back because we don't understand that we're at war. We keep on seeing this in terms of this class, this class, class character. We keep on saying, well, it's simply a question in terms of, you know, they have the access, and so therefore you don't have access by not having money, then so be it. Well, you don't, you don't eat well. Case closed. And as long as we think that way, then we're going to continue to be victims of the strategy uh, of war being waged against us without not necessarily even understanding that, in fact, a war is being waged against us. Well, Jabari, you wanted to say. And another aspect um, that we cannot underestimate is as time has gone on, schools have become more corporatized in a number of ways. And one of the ways is getting access to what, that which can be mass-produced quick, fast, in a hurry that does not have much nutritional value but it's cheap. We may be able to get access to it. And as long as the money being spent in school, see some type of um, – financial incentive to continue to have those kind of um, snacks readily available because, as you know, in many, especially um, a lot of public schools close to the inner city, you know, it's very interesting. You never hear them do any kind of think tanks about trying to get that's what healthy and beneficial 
But yet they have all these brand name um, snacks available in vending machines that are located in easily accessible areas in the school. Well, you know, you ask your point, Jabari, and you look at the vending machines in the school system, inside the schools, they are the worst piece of junk or snack stuff that you ever can eat. They they have the highest concentration of sugars and sodium of sort in their products. They have as high as sometimes down to 75% of all the sodas you're drinking has 75 grams of sugar which is clearly just too much sugar. But if you go to other places, it has, it has less sugar. Why would you put the highest amount of sugar in these sodas in these schools and take the lowest amount and have it somewhere else, knowing the impact of sugar and the impact of diabetes? And these are just very little things they do very subtly in terms of how they undermine and destroy the interests of our community and people, and we need to be aware of it. I find it ironic if federal government could make the statement that they are not obligated to allow our children to have healthy food, which means they don't care about our children, and why are they trying to force all these vaccination shots on our, on our children, saying we have to take it, if they don't have a clear-cut interest in terms of what's in the best interest of our children. Should we be taking these vaccination shots? Understanding the position they just took as it relates to food, is that intelligent? Response panelists, it seems like a contradiction to me. It is a contradiction, Brother Africa, uh, because uh, if, if human beings have an adequate diet, if your diet is healthy and if you're adequate and your diet is adequate, that would minimize your need for medication. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, if a, if a person has an adequate diet, they don't need supplements. Supplements, uh, 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 you know, take the place of of, of having ad, getting adequate nutrients from your food supply. So, 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 uh, so if uh, if this society cared about preventative health care and really uh, and, and really ensuring and, and, and really cared about human beings then then making sure that children had adequate food to eat would be a priority but it isn't and uh and uh and uh you know children will will resort to buying what uh, whatever is readily available and cheap and so, 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 uh, so you know, you, you have a lot of people that have a diet that 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 consists of a, a lot of junk food, which is rather cheap, cheaper than the healthier stuff. But it, but but it has uh, uh, dire consequences, uh, you, you know, for the people that consume it. Yeah, let us let us, know, let us let us let us not let us not presuppose that this that the system gives a damn about human beings. If we talk about a market based economy, then what it's about is about profitability, it's about making money. In that context, if you have a captive group who because of no fault of their own who are unaware in terms of the nutritional um impact of eating certain things, 
Or if they're in a situation where simply because of the economic realities, they simply can't afford the better things that are good for their health. Uh, of course, we understand that those individuals are going to gravitate whatever they can afford. So as a consequence, you have a situation where children are on sugar diets. I mean, all, that's all the parents can afford. Kids are eating potato chips, sodas, uh, because it's all the parents can uh, afford. It's not that the parents necessarily want the children to eat that junk, but the reality is that they got to eat something in terms of keeping their stomach from growling. So it's a very difficult situation, but if we keep in mind that we talk about a market-based economy and it's all about it's all about profit, then the question in terms of um, in terms of the health of human beings or the concern of human beings become irrelevant. The system has never been about human beings. It never has been about human beings, and it's not going to be about human beings. We can deceive ourselves into believing that the system is a damn about human beings, even though when the when the evidence is very clear that the system will care less about human beings. There are those among us who insist that the, country, that the system cares about human beings, despite the, the level of destruction, despite the level of injustice, despite the level of killing that go on in society. There are still those who maintain that the system cares about human life. Of course it doesn't care about human life. And so as a consequence, they don't have a problem in terms of, you know, in the poorest schools in society, you have machines there, not only in terms of sugary content, but as you say, Brother Africa, sodium content. And those are two of the most destructive things in the world, not only in terms of their health, but just in terms of their ability to think. Those things offer nothing in terms of assisting children in terms of their ability to think because they have there's no nutritional value whatsoever. But it's profitable. It makes a lot of money. Those schools, in conjunction, you know, with, with, with city planners, uh, state planners, the federal government, uh, who are manipulated by business interests, see, see, the, see the bottom line, which is the money. And so, therefore, the interest in terms of what is good for the children is not even an issue. And so it's even less, much an issue when you talk about poor children. It doesn't matter. You go to wealthy schools, you don't see the machine in the, in the cafeteria. You don't sell them sodas for sale. You, you don't see that stuff. The question is, why is that? Why in private schools, you don't, wealthy private schools, you don't have the same access to the same junk that you have in poor schools? Clearly, there are some decisions being made, and those decisions adversely impact on the lives of poor children. And we, and we don't understand the nature of the beast in terms of this war that you alluded to earlier, Brother Africa, then we're never going to understand why these conditions continue to persist in the African community. So as it comes upon us, nobody, nobody's going to educate us in terms of what's going on. You must educate yourself. Because if you're sitting there waiting for the adversary, waiting for the, for the, the, the individuals who are in the system to tell you right what is really going on, it's not going to happen. Only you can educate yourself. As Bob Marley said, you know, only we can free ourselves, you know, from, the, from mental slavery. No one else. And so, therefore, it's coming for us to understand when we see the stuff in our schools to ask the question, what the hell is going on here? Why is this, why are the teachers not taking a stand and saying, why are we, you know, giving us the demands of education? Why is the junk in here something that's going to not help these kids? We're not older in terms of their ability to concentrate or to master the material. Why is this stuff in the, in the cafeterias? I'm still waiting for teachers to, to organize and raise that question. The mere fact that they haven't, to a large extent, speak volumes in terms of this class allegiance uh, that exists in the minds of so many of African people. In other words, I got mines. I'm not going to lock the boats to hell with those kids who suffer. It has to change because the bottom line, as I stated before, you know, whether or not you know, we believe it or not, the bottom line is that we're all in this together, whether you're poor, in the middle, or wealthy. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is you're up against a system which is, which is indifferent to human life at its best, cold-hearted at its worst, and we have to understand that concrete reality. 
go, panelists. Before we go into our second segment for the day, I would like to get y'all just extrapolate a little bit on a statement you made earlier, Brother Hockey, which I thought was very um, fundamental in terms of uh, in terms of us coming to grip with this whole concept of racism. I agree with your premise in which the government is one of the major facilitators of racism. But the problem I have when we talk about the government, and maybe y'all can shed some light on it, for our listening audience and those who hear this program at a later date, when we say the government, can you give up some concrete examples of what is the government, what makes up the government? Because I think that's, 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 that's a dilemma. When we say the government, we, we can't identify a particular person or a particular um, focal point to bear responsibility. It's like a, it's like a ghost, an invisible ghost. It's something happening, but you don't know, you know what it is. So I agree with you that government plays a, a crucial role of facilitating racism. But how do you fight the government when we send that clear on what is the government? Who is the government? Who do we who do we um, identify as the people or as the various institutions to um, make them accountable? So, panelists, give us get out, listen, to some clarity. What is the government? How does this really work? Who do we identify? Because it's like a ghost. We use the word government. What that means? Yes, brother Anthony. Sure. The government is uh, the uh, all the the executive, uh, legislative, and judicial branches at every level, city, county, state, uh, federal, all levels. That makes up the government. The police, the fire departments. Uh, and the pro- and part of the problem why we have trouble pinpointing uh, this form of racism is what is known as institutional racism, and uh, and it's more this is more dangerous than the overt type of racism, uh, you know, of the KKK and uh, you know various other uh, you know uh, white nationalist groupings. Because it is uh, it is per- it is perpetrated by statute and uh, tradition. In other words, customs uh, that are based, that go back centuries and that have been ingrained, been ingrained into the structure of these governmental entities. And uh, our people are disorganized as a whole. And uh, I think it's important that people understand that voting in and of itself is actually the minimum that you could do in, as far as getting involved in, uh, in, in, in institutions that control your life. Voting is the bare minimum. Unfortunately, because of the oppression the masses of our people suffer, they don't have much time to do more than that, but it is inadequate. Uh, you really, uh, because decisions are made by the bodies that govern these institutions, uh, the school board, the PTA, 
the Board of Education. I mean, how, how many parents are actually active in their parent-teacher associations at their schools? This is at that level where a lot of decisions and policies get made and implemented. And unfortunately, because a lot of uh, people are either unemployed or working two or three jobs to maintain their household, they do not have time to do more than vote around election time. Yeah, well, you know the the, the power the question of uh, the question of power is 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 is, is one that's you know that's really decentralized. Uh, so when we talk about the flow of of, of power. Keep in mind, one of the things the ruling class don't want you to know, they don't want you to know specifically in terms of who's doing what to who. And so, therefore, they have a medium placing to ensure, serve as a filter to ensure that you get the impact in terms of a particular policy, but you necessarily know who innovated, who's behind it. Uh, we often talk about the role of lobbyists in Washington, D.C., in terms of impact in politicians. We also talk about the role of the wealthy in terms of buying politicians. So, all of that is the kind of, uh, a, a kind of, um, a decentralized power uh, in which, you know, certain things get done, but we don't necessarily know how they get done or when they get done or what plan they took in terms of getting, in terms of coming to fruition. So clearly we, we, we understand that these, these, these policies, these ideas impact our lives. Uh, because we don't adequately know who, who, who innovated these policies in terms of uh, these policies being, you know, adverse impact our lives, we may not know who they are, but nonetheless we, we know in terms of, you know, you know, you know, um, you know, uh, everyday existence, and in fact, there was something going on. There's something fundamental wrong in terms of your daily life, in terms of when you have to continue certain policies and laws, which are not only discriminatory, but in many respects, very deadly uh, uh, to people based on their class standing or the color of their skin. So clearly, I, the question is a very, very good question. But you know, when you start talking about in terms of who's the government, one of the things that we don't want people to think when we say government, don't fall into the trap of thinking the government means us. Yeah, we're the government. Of course, that's what they would tell you. The government is us. Who do they talk about? We're the government. No, you're not the government. If you go back and you look at in terms of the election of the Orange Minutes, the Orange Minutes wasn't elected by the popular vote. He was elected by Electoral College. Why in the 21st century do we still have Electoral College? Why is it that we don't have a one-man, one-vote, one-person, one-vote in America? Why is Electoral College still the, 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 the method by which we determine who becomes president of the United States? And when we talk about the electoral college, essentially what we're talking about is organized interests. We don't know who they are. I mean, from state to state, you can, you, you, if you do a little research, you can find out who they are. But aside from that, you know, uh, you know um, they, they, they function collectively. So we're talking about, you know, people, you know, behind the scenes who collectively work together for desired results. And so, therefore, having to understand this, then we understand that in, given the nature in terms of how, how, how power, uh, uh, you know, find its way, you know, you know, uh, through, uh, through the system, then we have to understand that not always we're going to be in a position to adequately appreciate in terms of who did what in terms of facilitating certain policies, certain ideas, uh, or certain laws that exist in society. We only know that we're, we're adversely impacted by those laws and policies and so forth. So I think that what allows us to understand that when we talk about, when we talk about, you know, government, fundamentally what we're talking about, we're talking about just people positions of power. Often people talk about a plutocracy. In other words, what they're saying is that ruling, ruling wealthy people, wealthy people rule, which is precisely what America is. It's a plutocracy. One of the reasons why I have such a hard time with China 
because China does a very good job in terms of limiting you know, the, the plutocracy. Uh, in other words, those wealthy Chinese who would like to exploit the masses of Chinese people in the, in the process, exploit the world, they would like to, but China policies keep them in check. It makes it damn very difficult for them to actually engage in corruption and not pay the price by terms of being incarcerated. In America, the plutocracy, the wealthy people are in a position to uh, engage in all kinds of criminal acts. In fact, the criminal actions is codified, it's protected, and so forth. They, they know that they can do down there anything they want to do, and so nothing's going to happen to them. Okay? So we understand that so we talk about in terms of who is the government, we're talking about those individuals who have absolute power in the society. And that's what we're talking about. It doesn't matter that we don't know their names, we don't know what capacity they occupy in the bureaucracy. We know in terms of the uh, existence, you know, that certainly fundamentally certain things are wrong and that they have to be addressed. That we know for sure. All right, right now, what we're going to do, this is Africa on the Move. You can listen to this weekly program on every Sundays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to pause for this call, so when we come back, we're going to our second segment of the day, where we're going to deal with part two of our theme, Hell No, We Are Not Down With That. So we're going to be right back. Don't you go nowhere. You're listening to Africa on the Move.
the state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state and people, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society. Know how we think, organize the hood under our chain banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I wanna be free to live, able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready, we just spreading the seed. Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in their back than fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks. Denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map That's why I write the shit I write in my rap It's documented, I meant it Every day of the week, I live in it, breathe in it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in ones, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's the low for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution The average black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the Talk a little bit about um, 
this whole question of U.S. policy as it relates to just understanding, doing goodwill for the betterment for human beings, for humanity. This article was written on the 29th of August for Resume, and it states that the Cuban Ministry of Foreign Affairs issued a statement today strongly rejecting a USAID program against Cuban medical cooperation projects. Cuban News Agency reproduces the full text of the statement. The Minister of Foreign Affairs strongly denounces and condemns the recent aggression against Cuba by the government of the United States through a USAID program aimed at financing actions and to search for information to discredit and sabotage the international cooperation provided by Cuba in the area of health in dozens of countries and for the benefit of millions of people. It is an effort that adds to the gross pressure exerted against various governments to hinder Cuba cooperation as they did in previous efforts with the same purpose such as to such as the special parole program aimed at the theft of medical professionals trained in Cuba. I'll stop right there. Start off with you, Brother Anthony, if you can take the lead on this article in terms of yes has a program where they have dedicated millions and millions and millions of dollars to ensure that people around the world will not get proper health care by the Cuban government. And they are doing this on a volunteer basis, and the Cuban people are picking up the tab. Brother Afton, I ain't down with that. What's up with that, Brother Afton? Tell the people, for your perspective, what's up with that? What is that all about? Well, what, well, what it is, uh, the U- U.S. US aid is spending millions of dollars to spread disinformation about uh, about Cuba's uh, program, uh, you know, spreading rumors uh, that Cuban gases and human trafficking or the practice of slavery, and and denigrating the meritorious work that hundreds of thousands of Cuban health professionals and technicians in various countries, particularly in the third world have violently carried out throughout its history. And this is going back to 59. And, uh, and what, and, and they, they, they engaged in a disinformation um, campaign to discredit and, uh, and, and uh, you know, Cuba and discourage uh, countries from, um, you know, from working with Cuba in order to help alleviate their health uh, care issues. Now, uh, this shows the, uh, uh, that uh, you know that capitalism has no regard for uh, for any interest except its own, its own selfish monetary interests, and that even at the expense of the suffering of millions of people. Uh, the U.S. government will do anything it can 
to try to destroy the Cuban Revolution. That's what I take from this article. And even and if it causes the suffering of millions of people around the world, and the cost of uh, 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 of, uh, of uh, thousands of lives, uh, the government doesn't give a damn. And uh, and that's what I take from this article. And uh, and uh, you know and 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 if this had been, and if this was a just society. There could be so many uh, m- more productive uses those resources could be put towards. But that's not the priority for capitalism. Brother Haki, we don't what? have money for infrastructure. We don't have money for education. We don't have money to make sure people are having um, proper nutrition. We don't have money, but we got what? millions and millions of dollars to interfere. interfere, interfere it to, to interfere in other countries' internal affairs who are only trying to help other countries to live in a better way when it comes to health care. What's up with that? Well, you know, there's a there's a certain amount of hubris affiliated with with, 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 with capitalism. And particularly when we start talking about in terms of, you know, how it views the world population. To a large extent, they see the world, world uh, population as being esoteric. In other words, uh, their lives are not really, 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 very really important. To the extent that they have any value at all, is, is the extent that the capitalists can exploit, you know, people around the world. And what Cuba does is simply tells people, you know, that there's hope. And one of the things that, uh, you know, in telling people there's hope, you create a possibility, you know, that the people will grow to begin to understand that there are different ways in terms of doing things. Society can be organized differently. Now, this message in itself is an implicit threat to capitalism, capitalism, because once people understand that exploitation doesn't have to naturally flow, that people can live in a just and harmonious society, you know, without the exploitation and still be economic viable. Well, one of the biggest fears of the capitalist class is that people come to that realization. And so by Cuba actually doing the work in terms of safeguarding people's health by u- using its own resources to make sure, you know, in conjunction with the United Nations, to work with countries around the world to ensure that its people have access to health care. Now, you're absolutely right, Brother Africa. That's one of the most noblest things a country could do. As, as a human being, to help others is, what, is one of the most noble things that one human being can do for another. The mere fact that the capitalist doesn't see it as noble speaks values in terms of the kind of mindset that you're talking about in terms of capitalism. Uh, this notion in terms of this, this uh, uh, destructive nature, this, in, this desire in terms of destroy, uh, it is so prevalent among the capitalist mindset then you certainly can understand why the desire in terms of seeing people without a health care in third world nations is desirable versus, you know, people actually receiving health care. So our hats off to Cuba in terms of its commitment in terms of humanity, actually, you know, assisting people around the world. And this notion in terms of, you're right, brother, after we spend millions of dollars for the sole purpose of undermining what Cuba's doing, when you start lying in terms of, you know, what Cuba's doing, you know, and when you start kidnapping Cuban doctors for the sole purpose of intimidating a country to make sure that it doesn't send doctors to help people abroad, it's hideous. So, 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 I, so I think this reality is that, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, we have this, 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 this dual understanding of the world. And so long as Cuba continues to do things that are holistic and helpful for humanity, 
you know, there's a chance that humanity would uh, understand, you know, the necessity in terms of what Cuba's doing and therefore replicate, you know, Cuba, what Cuba's doing in terms of making the world a better place. Brother Jabari, when we read this article, what were some of your thoughts um, came to your mind when you were reading this article? One of the thoughts that came to my mind was a play on words because as you read, supposedly this is supposed to be a research initiative used to discredit one faction, but when I, what I read as the so-called research to me seemed like more of like a seek-and-destroy mission because it's very interesting that um, that which is antithetical to the Cubans' efforts to um, uplift humanity would say that they're looking for ways to discredit um, the so-called positive things they're doing. In other words, what I think when I say seek and destroy is that they're trying to find those entities that benefit from it so that they can create a situation where they can find some means of disrupting it. Because that's one thing that um, they find very burdensome is that so many people all over the world utilize these services engage in dialogues and partnerships, and yet nobody's trying to follow their path to undermine all of those good things which are done to uplift humanity and create a better tomorrow versus trying to just do that what um, would be in a, their greediest capitalist interest. You know, panelists and Brother Moses and the rest can, can speak to it. Bobby just touched upon it. I thought it was real ludicrous when they made the accusation that they are creating propaganda want to paint the Cubans uh, medical teams as as a team that kidnapping people, trafficking people, uh, enslaving people. Though that sounds like the U.S. That's not Cuba, but I just thought that was real ironic. They were trying to sw- uh, flip that switch. When we see today how all of these missing children in the United States, no one know where they are. We see all these wealthy individuals, pedophilias, but yet they're not doing no time. So I just thought that was real ironic in terms of the so-called allegations they want to label with the, corrupt, with the corruption with the news media, you know, openly reporting it, knowing it's not the truth. Just your general response to just even the illusions of these so-called allegations that they're trying to label the Cubans are doing, in which everybody who knows anything about Cuba knows that's the first thing from the truth. Okay. And you know owns the news media, and so they know it's against they they against their interest. They're not interested in spending any money on health care or anything like that. And so they you know put turn these media hounds loose, and uh, and they come up with all these derogatory and insulting stories, which. Uh, which just, like you said, is propaganda to uh, prop up the system and discredit Cuba. Thank you. Anyone else respond to these so-called allegations of trafficking, human trafficking, and enslavement, and all of this, these things that we know that from history and even from today? It's more relevant to the behavior of the U.S. in other countries. 
you know what? You know, one can never underestimate the hubris of the U.S. government uh, and its agencies. Uh, when you start talking in terms of, um, you know, uh, wrongdoing, nobody comes close in terms of historically uh, committing wrongdoings in the U.S. The mere fact that they can concoct stories to try to make Cuba look like somehow it's of a, a thug organization, uh, the mere fact that they do that speaks dragons in terms of the kind of hypocrisy uh, that, that so many in America are, are accustomed to. Uh, one of the things is that, you know, there, there, there certainly is an audience in terms of this kind of ridiculousness. Uh, when you talk about people who don't fundamentally understand the, uh, the geopolitical nature, you know, of, uh, of, of um, you know, Western organization, in particular as it impact on the lives, you know, of people in so-called third world, to the extent that people don't understand that history, they don't understand that a lot of these words, that is information they receive from the West, particularly from the U.S., are disingenuous, and it's, just, and, and, and it's just amazing. But I find even more amazing the fact that you got those right here in the borders of North America in the 21st century still believe this kind of nonsense, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, we understand the hubris. We understand the arrogance in terms of the ruling class in society, but for the people in the society to continue to be duped with the same kind of propaganda, I find extraordinary. But nonetheless, those positions of power understand that they can espouse this kind of ridiculousness because, number one, they know there could be no response to it because the media simply not going to allow anyone to respond to the ridiculousness you know, of these assertions. Anyone who knows the history of Cuba in terms of humanity, in terms of its commitment to humanity, knows that Cuba is above board in terms of its, human, its dealings uh, you know, with, with the people around the world. In fact, the, US, the, the Cuban government works directly with the UN, directly with the host nations, to ensure you know, that service is, medical service is dispensed in a way which is humane and dignified. The Cuban people, there's no question about it, the Cuban, the Cuban government has always been very clear in terms of the, the, the importance of humanity. But when we look at the United States in terms of its policies, one thing is very clear. The U.S. is anything but humane. It's always been anti-humane, anti-human, if you will. So this notion that the Cubans are doing bad things, you know, and the USAID is willing to spend millions of dollars for the sole purpose of propaganda, big violence in terms of desperation of the system. So no one can now underscore enough, you know, that this economy is in great decline. And so when we talk about the orange menace, when we talk about his, his terrorists against China, even though he's doing nothing in terms of hurting the Chinese, clearly the, the, the people who hurt as a result of those terrorists are the consumers, the farmers here in America. And so therefore, given that reality, the system becomes much more precarious. And so, given the reality, given the precarious nature of the system, then they got no other choice but to revert to all kinds of stupid games in which they constantly try to label other people as the bad guy and, 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 and in the process and attempt to label themselves as the good guy. But I think increasingly more and more people around the world are beginning to understand that uh, uh, the good guys, you know, are certainly not to be found in the United States of America. Even the, even the, the Europeans are coming to the realization that there's something fundamentally wrong with America. Even they are dissing themselves from America, but they realize that their own longevity is in question in terms of, you know, following U.S. policy. So clearly this kind of Cuba, this kind of propaganda initiated by the United States is part of the course. It's what they always do, Brother Africa. Okay, panelists, let's make our transition to the next article, which I thought was really interesting, but one of the things that comes to mind, you can sort of see a coordination of these kind of policies and behaviors on a global basis. 
Because right now inside the United States, there's an ongoing struggle to create a national ID card. And I think, based upon recently, they were saying again that people tell 2020 to get not only a national ID card, but you're going to have to have about four identification um, documents in order to travel from state to state. That's from within the border of the United States. You would need this national ID card, this driver's license, a passport, and some kind of document with your name and your address on it just to be able to travel from from state to state. You're looking at the wall, how to deal with the immigrants here in the United States. And then you look elsewhere, and you can see the U.S. influence, such as this article. That's if it's true. This article titled, In the Your Scripts, 1.9 1.9 million of citizens' rights. Now, the source of this article, this Al Shazuri and the BBC. Let me just read a little bit of it. It talks about the day authority released a final version of the National Register of Citizens, purportedly aimed at isolating illegal immigrants from Bangladesh, with 1.9 million residents of the northeast state of Assam missing. That's true in last July, four million left off a draft list. But opponents say this NRC is a way to exclude ethnic minorities by imposing draconian requirements that they prove that they or their family live in the state since 1971. That's similar to some stuff being taking place in the Dominican Republic. The Dominican Republic, how they deal with the Haitians who live inside the Dominican Republic. I mean, this stuff in it is amazing. What is your response to the danger of, uh, of, of these kind of behavior that this article reflects? Uh, let's start off with you, brother Hackey. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think you're right, and it's to the extent that uh, the U.S. has been an, a, a horrible example to the world in terms of humanity, sort of reinforces the worst impulses of human beings. But having said that, one thing we have to acknowledge, though, brother, with respect to India. India has a long problem in terms of, you know, this, this whole Hindu uh, arrogance that exists. Uh, you know, and one of the fact, one of the things in talking to, 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 to various Indians, this whole notion in terms of the clannish nature of the Hindu is, is, is very prominent. And so, therefore, Modi, Modi the, the current uh, prime minister of, of India, is very clear that um, this kind of prejudice can be used to, you know, to, in terms of uh, for political motives. So he's very, very clear. So what he's doing, in, in effect, is that he's talking about people who, for, for, for generations, who've been in India for generations, he's now saying that these people are no longer viable Indian citizens, and they got to prove the fact that they are, in fact, viable. And one of the things that a lot of officials in India are saying is that clearly this, this motive, its intentions, you know, are to penalize the Muslims. And these Muslims, by and large, come out of the state of Bangladesh, and they speak the language, they speak Bengali. And so, therefore, the mere fact that they are, they are, they are, they are Muslim, they're being ostracized. And he, but the article does mention that on, on, on some level, uh, there are some Hindus who are also being adversely impacted by this policy. But primarily the policy is all about to make sure, you know, that, that the Muslim Indian population is, is, is victimized. Uh, clearly, you know, one of the things, Brother Africa, and, and this, is, this, is, this, is, this is something that people should follow up on, but one of the things that one of the policies out of India, they talked about the fact that the people that they who they're willing to give citizenship consist of Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, Farsis, and the John. Jane, I think I'm pronouncing it right, correctly, Jane. 
Chinese people have priority in, ter- in terms of in terms of citizenship, but the Muslims are questionable. So clearly, this is this is a strategy of Modi in terms of you know um, you know solidifying you know his political power than India, but he do so at the expense you know of not only just the, the Muslims there in India, but also the world, because as as as, as this as this, as these horrible examples continue to uh, 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 increase around the world, where people are dividing are divided based upon religion and or ethnicity or culture whatever it doesn't bode well for it wasn't more well for humanity so i but i think again you know they, they, to some extent i think they have they have taken a page of the united states history in terms of importance in terms of dividing and conquer for the purpose of, of political control your response is uh, yes, I concur with the points that have been made this uh, made so far, and that it doesn't bode well uh, for uh, you know for, for 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 people around the world who practice different religions uh, from the state, and uh, this uh, this um, intolerance uh, and uh, ethnic cleansing efforts are symptomatic of uh, capitalist states moving toward fascism. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and it, um, you know, marks a sign that, 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 that the struggle among people for justice and, uh, and uh, preserving humanity is, is intensifying. Brother Jabari. Do you see this as a possibility that happening maybe to people inside the border of the United States, such as African people and others? You know, it's very interesting you mention this because what this article brought back to my recollection is um, that law that was passed in Arizona in terms of where any time law enforcement officials have the right to ask anybody, show me um, proof that you're a documented um, legal resident or citizen of Arizona. And they can do that anytime they choose to do so, just randomly. You don't have to necessarily be um, in kind of any um, suspicion. They just, because they want to, they can basically typecast those individuals that they want to do that. And the thing that's also interesting, as we in the um, analytics era in terms of technology, it's very interesting that everybody wants to get into the data mining game to get certain information characteristics of people. So you can only imagine the kind of research that was being done for dubious purposes in terms of those that they wanted to ostracize. So that's another thing you have to look at in terms of when they create these so-called profiles of those that are supposed to be deviant and destructive to society. They're trying to find ways to purge your existence in more ways than one. And Matt, just to vote, just completely acknowledge you. Um, that's interesting because, you know, if you look at some of the struggles inside of um – uh, Central and South America, and you look at the history of Africans, you can see that being played out many times. You know, prior before Hugo coming to power uh, in Venezuela, it has been reported that you have had millions of Africans inside Venezuela. They would never even um, count it as human beings. They had no record on, on, on African people in Venezuela for many, many, many years. You had the same phenomenon t- have taken place in Colombia, etc. So you know that's something that we need to really watch, Brother Moses. 
what's your response to the nature of this discussion in terms of um, how you see how this may play out in future generations in terms of a group in power can come up with rules and regulations to find ways to say these people are no more legitimate as citizens and therefore what? What do you make of that people functioning under those kind of uh, measures or rule and dictate? Yeah, this is the exact direct result of capitalism, this nationalism, uh, uh, and uh, this tendency to play one group against another, and, and this, this, the heightened uh, nationalist, nationalist fervor, or something uh, to, to against immigrants and other people. Or, uh, this is, you know, like you said, part of the fascination of capitalism. And, uh, you know, we see it going on here in the USA. I mean, they, you know, Trump wants this citizenship question on the, on the, on the, uh, since, and the, it was blocked by the Supreme Court, I guess. And so, uh, you know, there's, it's just, uh, this mass, this appeal to the mob, nationalism, uh, appeal to the most backward sentiments of the people and, uh, and plays on it. And that's what fascism is all about. Thank you. You know, you know Brother Africa, you know, uh, I think the que- I think perhaps people, you know, might want to entertain the question in terms of uh, is, this, is this propensity in terms of, you know, um, committed against, quote, unquote, others. Is it something about the human the human psyche or the human soul that makes it uh, almost inevitable that this kind of thing would happen? It's a very difficult question. It's a very philosophical question. But one of the things I think, you know, when when you look at particularly when you look at look at India, one of the things is that when we talk about you know the the Benghazi, the people you know in who currently live in you know in India, those people have been living as far back as 1947. And uh, so the mere fact you know, that now it's an issue, the racist question comes whether or not these people actually are drained drain on Indian resources. I think not. I think there are other, there are other motions, other factors at play in terms of the motivation, in terms of, you know, uh, singling out, you know, these particular individuals, you know, in India. So I think to the extent, you know, that, um, you know, that people are insecure, I think to the extent that people look, and on terms of building themselves up, other people down, I think as long as this kind of insecurity exists, I think you're going to have to propensity in terms of, you know, vilifying large groups of people. So I think that one of the things about capitalism, one of the things that does very, very well, it creates, it facilitates a tremendous amount of instability, insecurity in the minds of people. And so it makes, it makes, I mean, it makes sense that if you're insecure, that it makes sense that you look to demonize others because it's the only way to elevate yourself, at least in your mind. So I, I so I so I think to a large extent that Lana's capitalism around lots of facilitates insecurity of individual. But I think there's potentially in terms of looking for others to victimize someone to say I'm better than I think this kind of thing, this kind of phenomenon is continuing to to exist. So that's just my view. So maybe other people may have different views on that, but that's my view. Any other final thoughts on this article from panelists for another panelist? All right, what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for this call, so when we come back, we can discuss a international thief. 
Yes, we can discuss an international thief that is based inside the U.S. and is causing havoc in Colombia. There's an article titled on the 27th, on the 27th September 2019, there's a worldwide mobilization for peace in Colombia. Don't you go nowhere. This is really interesting. We're going to pause for the cause when we come back. We will continue discussions as it relates to our theme today, part two. Hell no, we are not down with that. This is Africa on the move. Punish me, you could do 
all you punish me. Make you land the punishment. Make you fight the punishment. I read down for book you. I see some myself for you. I see some myself for you. Well, well. Dina Shalanga, Ibolandi, Na Unusi, Hawusalandi, Na Saluga, Galandi, Na Tiafi, Ashanti Landi, Na Yani, Ethiopia Landi, Na Sakarabi. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. Um, you're listening to Brother Philo who is from Nigeria, speaking to the crisis of dealing with these international thieves. And right now we're going to talk about one of them. It was an article uh, written, titled 27th of September 2019, Worldwide Mobilization for Peace in Colombia. Now, to listen audience, it becomes very important that we become aware and we educate ourselves on what's going on globally, because what goes on globally in other countries directly affect us, because we're all intertwined and we are all connected. And this article reflects us. Let me just read you a few sentences or so on this article, and we will let our panelists you know, weigh in on it. The subtitle, Colombia will not be safe for tourism, nor for the Colombian people, until right-wing forces and violence against the peace process is halted. Support Colombia workers demonstrate at Chevy dealership near you. That's what the Colombian people are asking the world to do, particularly those who live inside the U.S., where you're talking about dealership or Chevrolet. It states that the heightened violence against Colombia's social movements had reached a stunning rate of one assassination every 30 hours overwhelmingly targeted at indigenous and Afro-Colombian leaders in rural parts of the country. The effects of the chilling of progressive movements caused by this violence is felt all over the country. In Colombia's biggest city, General Motors benefit from the repression, which inevitably impact the ability of workers to stand up for their rights. For decades, the plant has profit for maintaining working conditions that cause disabling injuries. Disabled workers are illegally fired. For years, workers were forced to sign papers promising that they were not unionized. Panelists, are y'all in support of the people in Colombia in terms of putting pressure on Chevrolet dealerships to create a condition where, one, people should have the right to be respected as human beings and function in basic, decent working conditions. Two, really, they should have the right to be able to form whatever union they want to. But more importantly, to put a stop and an ending to all this mass killing of Colombian people, whether they're indigenous or African Colombians. 
your response to this article, Brother Jabari? First and foremost, let me add that GM is one of the leading car manufacturers, and we got to understand that this does not only um, include Chevrolet, but those other GM companies, the fact that they remain silent on this issue need to be mentioned as well. And who else does GM make cars for? Buick, Cadillac, Holden, SAIC GM, and McLaurin, um, McLaughlin, excuse me. Oldsmobile, Pontiac, Hummer, Saab, Saturn, and Vauxhall. So we got to understand we're dealing with this has global ramifications that extend far beyond Columbia. So that's one thing you have to find interesting, too. These other companies that they make cars for have not said anything in regards to this kind of policy. But it's clear that they're using fear and intimidation in terms of trying to find a way to create a permanent underclass in terms of the workers that mass produce these cars that make big profits for um, many. And the other thing you have to understand, this isn't too much different from a company we know here in terms of the things in Amazon where people were so afraid of losing their job because they took unnecessarily rest, unnecessary restroom break that they were using water bottles to urinate in instead of finding a proper urinal to take care of the business. So we got to understand that globally we have several instances of these kind of policies taking place because in the name of the game of capitalism, it's profit over everything else. Brother Anthony, your response to this article? Yes, I think uh, I think it's uh, a very I, I concur with the points Jabari made, and also the fact that Kness he made uh, he he drew to GM and these other uh, you know uh, 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 automobiles. It, it, it's not just uh, Chevy, but also I think it's important to understand that that GM is using intimidation tactics to undermine uh the workers from uh, uh you know from organizing and uh you know like making them a signed contract promise that they were not unionized as a condition of employment and so I think uh I think those organized labor worldwide needs to the uh stand in solidarity with the Colombian people and the masses to, uh, 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 you know, to assert their rights as human beings, let alone as workers, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, to form unions and to be able, uh, you know, to work, work in peace. And also I think, uh, you know, I think what, uh, you know, um, the, 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 the political movements, um, you know, aired in terms of laying laying down their arms and trusting that the right wing would honor the peace accord uh, that was reached in Colombia, and, uh, and and it's not doing that, and uh, you know, and and the masses of workers are suffering because of that. Brother Haki, your response to the article. Yeah, well, it is typical. Uh, I, I, you know, there's a bit of an analogy. Uh, one of the things is that, you know, in America, with the so-called gig economy, we're often referred to as independent contractors. Interesting enough, this whole notion in terms of independent contracts bars you from terms of union membership uh, because as a contractor, you know, uh, you know that um, the relationship is only between you 
in the organization that you work for. And so, therefore, the question should be unionizing is similar out of the question. So it's one of the ways in which they deny you know, workers their rights in America without saying we do not deny you your rights. So clearly we talk about the kind of exploitation in terms of the indigenous and the African the Colombians, you know, um, Clearly, uh, GM understands, you know, that, you know, it's, it's really all about the bottom line. No different than the Chiquita brand in terms of, or, or, or the rest of those major U.S. corporations, you know, in, in, in Colombia and South America, uh, you know, who uh, dictates uh, all about the bottom line. And I'm not sure about terms of what's fundamental right, what is economically feasible, or what is in the best interest, you, you know, of the people, uh, the people of that country. So clearly, I think, brother, you know, um, brother Africa, I think this is just this is just something that we can we can we can realistically expect in terms of the behavior from corporations, um, whether it be here or abroad. Uh, as long as you have a system in place which says that you know the exploitation of human being is just and proper, as long as the ends justify the means, then we have a situation where you know people in their minds is okay to ruthlessly exploit and to kill, as long as there is some tangible benefit in terms of monetary gain. So this is a problem that we we are faced with in terms of what, what's going on. But I, I, you know, one of the things that I think that, you know, the the FARC who disbanded in Colombia, under the guise that the Colombian government was going to work with the people to try to create a brighter, a brighter day for its people, now realizes that uh, the, the the powers that be in Colombia, you know, under auspices of you know Western control, have determined that they're not going to honor the agreement in terms of doing what's right in terms of the the masses of people there in Colombia. So now the FARC realizes that now it's time to go back to the woods, back to the forest, and fight this round two, because these people are not simply going to do what's right. And keep in mind, the, the corporations, the U.S. corporations are always behind in terms of any kind of atrocity that happened in Central South America. U.S. corporations are always behind it. So when we talk about the liquidation of uh, people on 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 a, on a monthly basis, then clearly we understand that you know the U.S. is paying lots and lots of people for the sole purpose of going around killing people who are, quote-unquote, agitating, you know, for change or, or advocating for a better way of life or, or a decent salary. So this is just this is just the way corporations, U.S. corporations in particular, this is the way they, they perform. Uh, this is not to say that they differ from corporations in Europe, except, except they differ in style. But just in terms of sheer brutality, there's no, there is, there's no more ruthless organization than the U.S. corporations. So no one should be surprised that this kind of talk about GM in Colombia is going on. You know, Brother Moses, um, if we operate from a frame reference, reference of a pan-African perspective, understanding that we are all one people no matter where we are, we can see in Colombia, uh, GM is facilitating and participating in large murdering of African people, Afro-Colombians, as well as the indigenous in Colombia, while at the same time in the United States, Inside their plants, they have a large African labor base. Wouldn't it be wise for African people here in this country to be more aware of of the international world and the relationships to our interests? Because right now we can see GM as the enemy to African people. Your response to that, Brother Moses? Yeah, uh, we definitely need a raised political consciousness. Uh, people should be aware of what's going on throughout the world uh, um, as much as possible. We should be educating ourselves and getting information, looking looking for information in order to know what our brothers and sisters around the world are doing 
and experiencing. Uh, this is this is so that we can be a better citizen, a better a better uh, participant in, in a world class struggle for socialism uh, and. You know, it's an international struggle, with, and we need an international consciousness. And so we have to know about what what our brothers and sisters are experiencing in other countries. Thank you. Okay, panelists, job well done today. What we're gonna have to do? Ask each one of each one of you to give us your final thought. <clears throat> Excuse me, one minute less. We start off. Come back to you, brother Moses. Your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, it's been an interesting show. Um, I hope that uh, we can we can continue this discussion. Uh, uh, um, I I really had a bad week in terms of reading the material this week. I had read this last article though, but uh, uh, hopefully my computer will be up and running next week. Thank you. All right, we thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. Brother Bobby, your final thoughts for tonight. It's important that we not be disillusioned given the propaganda that's coming coming at us at a rapid pace. We have to be diligent doing research and being informed. Now is not the time, nor was ever acceptable to be willfully ignorant. Peace. Thank you, Brother Zabari. Brother After, your final thoughts for tonight? My final thought for tonight is that it is more it is more important than ever than ever than ever has been for us to get organized and politically educated and to work and to work together as much as possible with other people that are fighting for the same things that we are, and that is uh, justice, peace, and equality worldwide. And to learn more about the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, please visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org, or you can call us at 202 246 4896. Thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contribution to today's program. Brother Hackey, your final thoughts for tonight. Okay, a couple of things. First, uh, African Awareness, we're doing a solidarity tour to Cuba. The trip takes place October 31st to November 6th. More information, contact us at 804 549 or email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. We encourage people to go to Cuba and see for themselves firsthand what Cuba is all about. Now, having said that, Brother Africa, you know, that's no question that the world is, is, is in a very precarious state. Uh, one of the things that we can ill afford is, you know, not to be informed. I understand, you know, on, on a very pragmatic level, it's very stressful in terms of understanding the nature of the beast. But nonetheless, that's a challenge that we face. We have to want to know what's going on. We can no longer afford to, you know, bury our heads in the sand and pretend or feign that all everything is okay. It is simply not the case. Uh, when we talk about the dissolution of the, the economy and we talk about political moves to empower the 1% at the expense of all others, 
Well, that simply means in layman's terms is that um, you know our goose is cooked. If we don't do something to fundamentally change the dynamics in terms of what's going on in society, it means that those positions of power have no other choice but to eliminate those people they perceive as the problem. It's the only choice that they have. So no matter how we look at it, no matter how idealistic we are, no matter how patriotic we are, at some point we have to begin to look at reality and understand it for what it is. And having said that, Brother Africa is always to encourage people, you know, to get about the business of unraveling the matrix, and I certainly hope people take the opportunity to build institutions in the process. Thank you, Brother Hackey, for your contribution to today's program. And to the listening audience, like always, we thank you for allowing us to come to your homes, and thank you for your continued support. Remember, you can hear this radio program every Sunday from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we try to provide you with information so you can think and expose you to organizations so you can find a way to work with them. Because we know the only solution that can free our people is Pan-Africanism. But to achieve Pan-Africanism means that we must be organized. So we'd like to encourage all our brothers and sisters that everybody who will make a better humanity is to join an organization that is fighting to make humanity better. Until next time, just remember, let's continue to strive to go forward, ever, backwards, and ever. This has been Africa on the Move. Any questions or comments, you can email us at africaonthemove2 at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Yeah. <laughs>